Happy holidays and welcome to The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found inside a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. Last week, we talked to Ryan Ballone of KCA Labs about the analytical testing side of the cannabis business. We got into the instruments and methods used to accurately identify and quantify the compounds present in the sample, as well as the struggles testing labs are facing keeping up with the rapidly advancing cannabinoid conversion industry. On today's episode, we're joined by Kyle Detweiler, the CEO of Clever Leaves. Clever Leaves is a multinational cannabis company with operations in Colombia, Germany, Portugal, Canada, and the U.S., They're one of the first companies to successfully import DEA-scheduled cannabinoids into the U.S., and they're poised to significantly shake things up in our markets. I recorded this interview at MJ BizCon in the most quiet location that I could find, which unfortunately was a convention center walkway with our masks on, so the audio quality isn't as great as we'd all like it to be, but the content is good and the interview deserved its own bonus episode. So with that said, let's jump into it. Kyle Detweiler, CEO of Clever Leaves. Welcome to the Modern Extractor. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm happy to be able to sit down with you. I've been a Clever Leaves fan even before you guys got the spec and, and all of that. So I'm, uh, I'm a fan. I'm glad to be able to have a chance to sit down. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy to do anything in person after COVID. So great, great to be here with you. This is true. This is true. It's been a, been a crazy show. Talked to all kinds of extraction companies and all kinds of processors. Uh, one of the reasons I'm excited to sit down with you is that you guys are very unique in the respect that you are a global brand and you're the first to export THC-laden product into the U.S. That was a huge deal. Uh, what was it like to navigate all of the red tape that must have had, had to have been associated with that? Huh, where, where to even begin? Um, <laughs> you know, it certainly took a long time. Uh, and I remember when the team first came to me with the idea, uh, I immediately thought they were crazy. And I immediately loved the idea, too, at the same time. So well, the best ones. Uh, <laughs> the best ones, exactly. Um, and really, you know, you know, Cleverly's existence is, you know, a bit of an unconventional idea. I mean, I think in retrospect, most people understand now, you know, it doesn't make sense to grow cannabis in Canada. You should grow it where Mother uh, Nature intended, places like Colombia. But 2016, when we got started, that was not a universal truth. You know, most people, uh, you know, were very set on uh, their ways. So, you know, with the U.S. shipment, you know, we began working on it uh, several years ago. And the first announced milestone of that was that um, this summer, we are actually, I should say the first real milestone was in 2020, we sent the first product, you know, R&D scale, you know, think of hundreds of grams, you know, a little flour, some extracts. I can't remember exactly what was in that portfolio. Then this summer, we announced the next step, which was Project Change Lives, where we're going to give away $25 $25 million worth of product to U.S. researchers and academic institutions to drive forward, you know, true research, true clinical research on, on cannabis. And, you know, we don't want there to be any impediments to it. And so once that was done, you know, it kind of set the ground for stage three, which was the first sale. Uh, and so it was just a couple weeks ago we actually sold it. Um, but, yeah, 30 kilograms of, of biomass from flour uh, sent from Portugal to, to the United States. 
you know, we'll see if we can make it to phase four and phase five, which are, which are hopefully uh, going to be even more exciting than those first three steps. But uh, Are phase four and phase five public knowledge yet? Can no, you talk about them? No, un unfortunately not. I mean, it's Understand. so unpredictable. You mm -hmm. know, we can't tell how customs will react. What will the DEA say? Because everything is being imported with, you know, DEA import protocols. Uh, so I think we have to, we definitely have to crawl before we can walk, before we can run. I would imagine there are a ton of agencies with various acronyms that you had to go through in order to get all of that red tape cut to be able to uh, to, to get it in the, in the country. 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you guys are incredibly well spread out across the globe. You're in many different countries. Where where all are you? Sure. So our, our main production hubs are in Colombia and in Portugal. So, you know, Colombia, we have approximately 400 employees. Uh, in Portugal, um, you know, depending on, on you know, sort of uh, variable staff or, you know, seasonal staff, you know, we might be as many as 100. Um, those are that's where we produce cannabinoids. Now, beyond our production, you know, there are other quirks of this industry. So, for example, in Germany, there's a very difficult import protocol, uh, and we have a small team there to uh, to assist with that. Uh, we have a, um, a nutraceutical operation in the United States. Uh, most of that is in Phoenix, so a team of you know 30 to 40, um, and then we have sort of a you know diffused executive team uh, of about a dozen or so. Uh, we used to be headquartered in New York. We've now relocated to uh, Miami. But like many companies, uh, you know, we're exploring a world of virtual, uh, virtual commuting to, to work now. Absolutely. It's uh, as CEO. What's what's it like to have the team working virtually? You know, I talk to folks that are on the uh, on, on the virtual commuting side of things very often, but it's not too often I get to ask the CEO. What do you think about it? <laughs> Well, I just want people to enjoy being here. I want them, we call it mojo. I want people to be excited about what they're doing. I want them to feel like they're have, having an impact. And, and I think, you know, virtual commuting, you know, there's people that say they like it and hate it. There's people that hate it um, and say they like it. And then there's people that kind of make do. Uh, and then there's probably a category of people that, you know, really enjoy it. And I think we're kind of heading into a place where work habits are adjusting. I think most people are excited about a system where they can maybe be home an extra day or two a week. And uh, maybe it's not the first impulse to hop on a plane to take a five hour flight to see a client, you know, maybe that first conversation can be done over a zoom. And then, you know, later, once that conversation's more progressed, you know, you hop on that plane. So um, I think it's a natural efficiency. I don't think most people were used to using the technology that we have today. I don't think I took video conference calls before 2020 very often. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's a healthy balance, but it's not gonna live on the extremes. There will have to be a face-to-face -face part of, of this business. Yeah, absolutely. If anything, it's made us all very much more efficient at figuring out what is needed to be in person and what's not. Speaking of efficiency, uh, one of the things that I wanted to chat with you about is you've got quite the operation going in Columbia. That's your main production facility, you said, right? Yes. So you are growing uh, a number of greenhouses and then also taking the majority of that to oil, at least that was the plan uh, at the beginning, is my understanding, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now recently, you're, you're still doing that, but recently you've been allowed to export biomass not extracted. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, it's a big change. Uh, they just announced it in July in, in Colombia. Ironically, the, the president of Colombia, uh, Ivan Duque, uh, signed a decree at Cleverly's facility to kind of commemorate this you know, new sign of government support for the Colombian industry. So it's still um, a decree. I'm, I'm not sure what the cor correct you know, American equivalent would be, but uh, following the decree must come some resolutions. Those are more clarifying uh, parts of the law and regulation, and we should be seeing some of those coming out very shortly. That's amazing. As far as the stuff that you are uh, extracting in Colombia, what, what kind of volume are you processing? Sure. So uh, if we thought, thought uh, about the biomass side first, you know, our greenhouses today, we have about uh, 18 or so of them. It's about 1.8 million square feet. Uh, we can produce around 100,000 kilograms of extractable biomass. Um, and, you know, it's a, there's a variation between, you know, what's necessary. Usually we trim everything. That's a fairly unusual part of our extraction process. Most people just, you know, throw whatever comes yeah. off of the stock in, in there. But, you know, we actually have found, um, um, you know, we can, because of our low cost structure, we can really improve the quality of those extracts by going just with almost like a whole flower extract. And then another part that's very, very unique about our, our extraction processes, you know, we don't vary the strains. Uh, so it's not like we're taking some, you know, sugar leaf from that strain and what's over left over here and combining it. It is always the same strain every single time, uh, which leads to, um, uh, you know, great improvement of efficiency. It's great for clients so they know what they're getting. Uh, you know, there was a, um, a more famous example in Germany where somebody had a great experience with extracts when they first used them. A couple months later when they got to get, you know, their second, uh, second bottle or uh, second uh, installment, it, um, it, it didn't create the same effect because, you know, it was produced differently. Uh, so that's why we, we do it that way. That's also um, a sign of our European GMP certification. You know, there's only one other company in Colombia that has that. It's uh, Colombia's largest pharmaceutical manufacturer. Uh, so those, those things definitely make it for a, a very different environment. Yeah, you guys have picked up all kinds of certifications when it comes to GMP. I was just reading before I, I met up with you today. You've got the EU GMP. Uh, what what other what other stuff <laughs> have you got on the uh, on the on the resume there? I guess in the old days, you know, uh, you know, fathers would keep pictures of their kids in their wallets. You know, I keep a list of all our GMP certifications uh, today. No, so, you know, probably the most exciting ones are the European GMP certification. Uh, most people think that's just a single piece of paper, but it's actually much more complicated than that. There are levels or gradations of the certification or what processes does it apply to. So it's a very unique feature in Columbia that we actually part one and part two certified, which means we can both produce intermediate products as well as final products. And in pharmaceuticals, there's a big difference between the two of those things. Um, on top of that, it's a very, um, le well, it's less well known that our flour uh, production is also EU GMP certified, in this case, part two. Um, and that is, uh, you know, much more advantageous now that we can sell flour. It was nice to have before, but, you know, since we couldn't export flour, it was irrelevant. Um, we also have an, a, um, what they call an Envima GMP certification. Envima would be, you know, you could kind of think of them as like the FDA uh, of Colombia. Uh, and then we also have a, a GACP certification, Good Agricultural Collection Practices uh, certification. And that certification is also in uh, Portugal. So we have it in both Colombia uh, and in Portugal. So those are probably the main <laughs> 
GMP licenses or, or certificates that people think about, but um, they're certainly not easy to get. So no. you got to jump through lots no. of hoops, and you guys have managed to do it. Between that and being able to, to import into the United States, you've got some people that are fantastic at cutting red tape, that's for sure. Uh, moving on from there, as, as far as building your team out goes, um, did you come into this with a background in cannabis and knowledge of the cannabis industry? Uh, sadly, no. Um, you know, I had other backgrounds that I thought were relevant. So um, I spent most of my career in the investing world. So I worked at KKR and the Blackstone Group, which are very large private equity firms. And at those companies, I spent a lot of my time in healthcare on, on one industry focus. And in that, uh, a lot of it was spent on pharmaceuticals. And within pharmaceuticals, a lot of that time was spent on manufacturing. And if you're trying to improve the profitability of a pharmaceutical manufacturer, you're looking for ways to send it to places like Southeast Asia, where it's a low cost operation, but still has you know, FDA uh, quality products. So that's kind of one camp of things I spent time on. And the other half uh, I spent on natural resources, uh, coal, iron ore, uh, sugarcane, blueberries, asparagus. And once you get into agricultural products, there is a, a new push to move the production of those products near the equator. Uh, it's better for Mother Earth, it's better for carbon cycles, um, it creates a year-round uh, experience, so you know you don't have to worry if strawberries or asparagus or blueberries are in bloom in you know, August versus you know, March. Um, and so it was really the synthesis of those two ideas that led to Cleverly's um, being situated in places like Colombia and Portugal. Okay, that makes sense. Excuse the uh, the background noise here. Kyle and I are sitting down at the uh, at the win here in, uh, in not as quiet as I would prefer section. But uh, so moving on from that, speaking about building your team, especially if you don't come from the cannabis world, what was the approach to finding the right people to put in place for cultivation, the right people to put in place for extraction and post-processing? How did you go about doing that? Yeah, great question. And, um, you know, there's a temptation in this industry. I've seen companies move to one end of the spectrum. You know, they hire people that have been working in the, you know, gray or, you know, unregulated markets for a long period of time because they had some strong skill sets there. I've seen other companies move to completely the opposite uh, side of things, only employing people from, you know, big ag or pharmaceuticals. Uh, I would say we are probably towards the side of the uh, culture that hired people from big ag and pharmaceuticals, but we learned very quickly that we needed to have uh, some expertise from the more modern cannabis industry, uh, you know, whether that would be in, um, uh, in places like Canada or, or other locations. So uh, I think we've had to really synthesize both. You know, there's, you know, if you do it to the extreme, you're gonna do something wrong. Uh, you need to you know, have a bit of a balance. So, um, um, but you know, the one thing that I think we have treated very differently about the uh, Colombian operation is, you know, pharmaceutical is not just like a tagline. It's not just a marketing point. I mean, if you walk into that facility, you know, you have to take off your watches and your rings and, you know, put on your gown and go through the GMP protocols and walk through sterilized rooms. And um, it's a very different environment than, you know, a typical extraction facility in Colorado or, um, uh, or California. Um, so I think it's been a great, uh, a great balance, but you know, we can learn a lot of lessons from both of those kind of extremes. Absolutely. As, as far as your extraction processes, the show is the modern extractor, so that's usually where I'm fairly focused. 
Uh, as far as your processes go there, are you extracting, at the scale you're doing, I assume that you're extracting with ethanol. Is that, uh, is that accurate? So we actually use exclusively CO2 at this moment. Really? You know, we had done a little bit of experimentation with, uh, with ethanol, um, but for our clients, which tend to be more uh, on the pharmaceutical side, CO2 is a more natural uh, medium through which to extract. Okay, so you're doing CO2 extraction, and then are you typically sending that all the way through to distillation to purify the compounds, or are you ever doing more full-spectrum crude, or what, what is your end product with the oil? Yeah, well, as a B2B player, we're really trying to cater and provide a whole portfolio of options. Uh, it, once you move into international pharmaceutical uh, exporting, uh, you know, you find very interesting quirks. So, you know, in Brazil, for example, there is a, a special tax or royalty that will be applied to finished pharmaceutical products rather than semi-finished pharmaceutical products. So while we might start with, you know, one type of product, you know, as you start to learn some of these quirks, you may evolve the way that your, your supply chain works. And so we have unfortunately had to take on everything. You know, we could, we can make a, you know, a crude oil, you know, 65% CBD or THC with, you know, four to 5% of the, the counteracting uh, cannabinoid. We could then move that into a more uh, distilled product that could be, you know, 80 to 95% cannabinoid product with a little bit of a full or a broad spectrum touch to it. And then of course, you know, we do produce uh, isolates uh, as well. Okay. Uh, have you, I'm sure many folks out there have no concept of the costs associated with uh, exporting from Colombia and importing into the US, but uh, what would you say that your average landed price per gram of oil is into the US? Well, we haven't done uh, large-scale commercial oil sales to the United States. Um, so if that market opens up, um, and it's not something that we've pushed uh, immediately, um, you know, we're doing it in uh, rare examples at this point, or you know, what we would call a pathfinder shipment you know, to test the supply chain. Um, but if you looked back to our you know, filed SEC financials, uh, when, you know, in 2020, when we had a full year, so there's no kind of quarterly variance, uh, you know, we produced um, both our biomass and our extracted product in Colombia at 14 US dollar cents per gram. So I give, give or take, you know, 60-ish dollars per pound would be sort of the equivalent way to think about that. So that's pretty disruptive considering <laughs> the way things are going in the U.S., on the U.S. side of things. Uh, if, if those floodgates open, I mean, I would imagine that oil production happening where the cost of production is lower and the importing into the U.S. would make it uh, pretty difficult to compete for a lot of these U.S. companies. I think there will be a change in the supply chain. I think that is inevitable. So, so if, 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 if folks that are over here uh, refer to, to what's happening as you guys are big weed or whatever, like the, the boogeyman that is, that is uh, oftentimes spoken of in these circles. How would you respond to that? Uh, well, I would say, for one, um, let's think about the provenance and the terroir of, of cannabis, if I can even use those words. And I would say that just like wine, you know, you have some fantastic grape growing regions in the United States, Sonoma and Napa are very well known, but those aren't the only provenances, right? Uh, champagne carved out a niche in, you know, sparkling wine. Uh, Argentina, Australia have their own 
varietals. I don't think it would be great for the American patient or consumer to only think that cannabis can be produced in warehouses in Massachusetts and you know the hills of uh, the Emerald Triangle. Uh, Colombia has a right to win in this space, and I think that like those other industries, whether it's alcohol or coffee, you know, having Colombia as a as a source of supply, I think benefits everybody uh, because it adds diversity and it adds, keeps people honest in terms of making sure their products are high quality. Second, I would say that just because we have a, a large scale operation in Colombia doesn't mean it can't work within the existing system. I mean. Let's, let's be honest, if, if the U.S. worked in a situation where there was a state-by-state -state legality, but it was still illegal federally, does anybody really think it makes sense to have a cultivation center in every single of those states, an extraction center in every one of those states? I don't, I don't think most people think that. No, absolutely not, so, it's ridiculous. And so then, you know, when people start to fashion uh, or think about that crystal ball, it probably has... Uh, 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 you know, once those walls fall within the state, you start to see cultivation migrate to where you would expect, uh, you know, the western coast of the United States, maybe places like the Carolinas or, you know, Kentucky is trying to make a very competitive hemp program. So you're going to see that, you know, anyhow, and then you get into more of a societal question of, you know, do we want free trade of this product? Well, NAFTA exists, for example, but nevertheless, there can be you know, trade differences between how dairy is treated and sugar is treated. And, um, you know, that's the kind of future I see uh, for us. Um, and so I think these two can, can coexist nicely. I also wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, American products showing up on the shelves of a, of a future dispenser in Colombia either. I think there's a healthy um, marketplace where both can coexist. But there should be some rationale to it because, you know, if you looked up to Canada, even though Canada has completely closed itself off for imports, which is a whole other, you know, uh, possibility. They still have had to uh, result in a number of job cuts and facility closures because it didn't really make sense to build all of that capacity. So uh, we're going to face a little bit of a correction no matter what. Um, and I think that we can be a healthy part of a future industry. All right. It's an interesting, uh, interesting look inside of it from uh from the the mass production side of things you know a lot of the folks that i talk to on the show are smaller scale labs or even large scale labs here here in uh in the u.s so it's a it's a very interesting look inside of that i've seen some pictures you guys have fantastic and beautiful facilities out there in colombia second to none uh it was uh it was really nice to get an opportunity to talk to you on the show kyle Dowler, ceo of cover leaves thanks All for coming right. on the modern extractor thanks for having me on all right. Thanks again to Kyle for making the time. You can check out what Clever Leaves is up to on their website, www.cleverleaves.com. As always, if you want to hear about something specific on the show, let me know. Email me, jason at modernextractor.com. Make sure to follow the show on Instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor. If you guys are digging what I'm doing here, please take a few minutes to show me some love and write a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. The more reviews the show has, the wider the audience it will reach, and the better guests I can keep booking for you here in the future. Stay tuned for a few more bonus episodes popping up throughout the holidays here. I've got some more content that I captured out in the field, and I will be airing it over the next week or two. A big thanks to Isada Venegas for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout out to the new fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into The Modern Extractor. Happy holidays. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon. <laughs>